What does it take to build a healthy church? You ask a hundred people, what does it take to build a healthy church? You'll get a hundred answers. Takes the right kind of worship music. It takes a young, dynamic pastor. Young? (laughs) It takes small home groups. It takes evangelism. It takes vibrant children and emerging generation ministry. Gear your church around the next generation. Well, on this, our 39th anniversary as a church, we want to look at that question. What does it take to build a healthy church? That is the question that Paul is answering when he wrote the book of Titus. Please turn there with me this morning. The New Testament letter of Titus. If you find the T's, they get smaller and smaller. It starts with Thessalonians, and there's a couple of them, and then Timothy, and there's a couple of them. Then you come to Titus in the New Testament. Titus. Paul wrote three letters to pastors, pastor to pastor. Three letters on what it takes to build a healthy church. He wrote Timothy ten chapters, and he wrote Titus three chapters. You ever talk on the phone with somebody and you knew they were running out of time and they start talking really fast, like to get it all in? You got to do this and do this and do this. And everything becomes imperatives. Do this, do this. Well, that's a lot the way the book of Titus is. Paul takes all this and puts it in this. And he says it really fast. And there's a bunch of imperatives. Well, I like imperatives. I like imperatives because just tell me. Just make it simple for me. Just tell me what you want. Where you go, I'll go. What you say, I'll say. It works for me. That's the book of Titus. We are living in complex times. And culturally... Christian values are losing stock. You may say, your investments are down. Well, I've got news for you. If the poll was taken, in fact, USA Today, did you read the paper this week? USA Today captured a whole new perspective on where our country is today. When a country becomes so pluralistic, and welcomes the cultures of the world the way our nation has. You also welcome the gods of the world. In fact, the USA Today said if we were to write a song today, it may be God's Bless America. People say, I believe in God. I believe the Bible is a good book. And then I believe whatever I want. And George Barna's people say this. I blame the pastors. Because they have not taught the Word of God. 
Jesus is the answer, they teach. Embrace Him, say the little sinner's prayer, and keep coming back. But it doesn't work. People end up bored, burned out, and empty. They look at church and wonder, Jesus died for this? Now, sociologists are telling us now that we are living in an age of discontinuous change. That it's constantly changing. Never in history has there been a culture like ours. Usually there'll be a major change and then you'll go a number of years and then another major change and then a number of years and then a major change. But those changes kept getting squished closer and closer together to where now they say it's just continuous change. It's run on change. When you go to sleep at night, you, when you wake up in the morning, you're not sure what exactly you're going to wake up to. It's a lot like the intersections in Atlanta. You think it's safe to enter the intersection because this guy is gone and nobody's coming from over there and then somebody comes from there. Anyway, discontinuous change. Titus served God on the island of Crete, right in the middle of the Mediterranean. Crete was his base camp. Now, Crete is, in most parts, about five miles high. Now, we call our base camp a five-mile radius, so it's five miles in either direction. It would be ten miles high. But his base camp was a hundred miles long. And Paul is writing to Titus because a whole lot was riding on the condition of the church in Crete. Because it was said of Cretans. And, and when you say things like this as a preacher, you quote someone else. You wouldn't dare say this yourself. So Paul, being the good preacher that he is, he says, some of their own prophets say, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. He wouldn't say that. But he wouldn't have said it if he didn't think it might have been true. So it was kind of like an island that was made up of Atlanta and Las Vegas and San Francisco put together. Islands today are vacation spots, and they were there. But there were Christians living there. And there was a whole lot riding on the condition of the church on the island of Crete. And so Paul, as a pastor to his pastor friend Titus, tells Titus what to do to build a healthy church on the island, on his base camp. And what he says is this. You gotta do one thing. Now this is gonna build here, okay? You're gonna start by building strong leaders. Titus chapter 1. I left you on the island of Crete so that you might appoint leaders in every town. Not just any kind of leaders. Leaders who 
have Jesus as Lord over their home life. Because the leaders were leaders of home groups. And if Christianity wasn't working in their home, how could they lead a group in their home when their own home life was not under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? So the first quality of leader is that he has a home life that demonstrates the presence of God. And then his work life, that he's known in the workplace as being a man of patience, not a drunkard, not quick to anger. That his private life was in order. That he was pure, blameless, above reproach. That he was able to teach sound doctrine. Because how could he host a group in his home and teach them the Word if he didn't know the Word? Well, that's the kind of leader that Paul is telling Timothy to appoint in every town. And these are in contrast to the others who were rebellious, wild living, who were not pure, whose consciences were corrupt, whose actions were not in keeping with what they professed to believe. So whatever you do, don't appoint hypocrites. Appoint people who believe the Word, who practice the Word, who live it in their homes, in the workplace, on every level of life. Now, why? Chapter 2. Appoint leaders in every town who can teach the Word in their homes. Why? Because the second thing that you need if you're going to have a healthy church is you've got to have sound doctrine. And at the beginning of chapter 2 and at the end of chapter 2, he talks about this thing of sound doctrine. Verse 1, you must teach sound doctrine. Verse 15, these then are the things you should teach. And in between, it is remarkable to see what he means by sound doctrine. Now you might think he would mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No. You might think he means, okay, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the last things. No. When he says teach sound doctrine, he isn't talking simply about theology. He's talking about morality. Because he goes on here, Verse 1, teach sound doctrine. Verse 2, teach the older men to be temperate. Verse 3, teach the older women to be reverent. Verse 6, teach the young men to be self-controlled. Verse 9, teach the slaves to be subject to their masters. Now, that doesn't sound like doctrine. It sounds more like ethics. It sounds more like practice. You know, usually the way we teach, 
We separate theology from life. But the Bible sees it all blended in together. And for the Bible, when it says sound doctrine, it's talking about we need the truths to be accurate. That the Bible is the inspired Word of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. That He was born of a virgin. That His death on the cross is all that's needed for salvation. That He is returning again. Those are sound doctrine. But so is husbands love your wives. Wives be subject to your husbands. Children obey your parents. Those who are employees show grace to your employer. And honor the Lord in the workplace. No, this year, in fact, this week, I have gotten four phone calls from my friends. All of them, all four, fell morally. And they were calling to tell me about it. They fell. Now, do you think they fell doctrinally or morally? This year, 98% of church members who will decide, I'm not going to church anymore, will not leave because of doctrinal disputes. It's because of moral issues. And 98% of pastors who will not be pastoring six months from now will not drop out because they no longer believe in the inerrancy of Scripture or the deity of Christ or the second coming or those doctrinal issues. They're going to leave over a moral issue. For a long time, we thought proper theology will take care of morality. The fact of the matter is, morality, unfortunately, often dictates our theology. If you lose it morally, you want a God small enough that won't make you feel guilty, and so you will change your theology. Are you okay this morning? So, to make it simple, according to Titus, you want to build a healthy church. You establish strong leaders who will teach sound doctrine house to house in their house and gather neighbors in their house. And they will set an example by the way they're living morally so that there will be a categorical difference between the level of life that those who come into that house will observe and the kind of living that goes on outside of the Christian context. That's how you build a strong church. Now why? Why? Why was this so important for Paul to tell to Titus for the sake of the island of Crete? What was the deal here? Establish in your territory Leaders across Crete in every town. Now, a 
casual study of Titus, you would miss this completely. But one of the operative words in the whole book of Titus, it's used eight times, it's used in every chapter, is the word good. That they might be good. That they might do good. Just watch this. Chapter 1 tells the elders, verse 8, Elders need to be those who love what is good. Chapter 1, verse 16. It talks about the disobedient who are unfit for anything good. Chapter 2, verse 3, tells the older women to teach what is good. Chapter 3, verse 6, the young men... I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 6, the young men should set an example by doing what is good. Chapter 2, verse 14, should, we should be eager to do what is good. Chapter 3, verse 1, ready to do whatever is good. Chapter 3, verse 8, devote yourselves to doing what is very good. In chapter 3, verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. And in that last example, it's referring specifically to giving to the poor and to help the poor and needy in the community. And thank God that today we're giving bags of groceries, that this past year we've been able to give fifteen to $20,000 to help poor and needy among us and in our community. So it's not just setting up home groups that are there for themselves. No, you want a healthy church. You establish leaders who will lead their home and have a home group to teach sound doctrine so that the people in that group can do what is good. Why? Just so that we do what is good? No, Jesus said, let your light so shine before people that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So what was at stake? What was at stake was the reputation of Jesus Christ on the island of Crete. And the determining factor for the reputation of Jesus Christ on the island of Crete was how the church functions. And in order for the church to function properly so that the world could understand that there is a God and His Son is Jesus Christ, they needed to see the Christians who serve that God doing good in their community. And in order for them to do good in the community, they had to be morally strong. In order for them to be morally strong, they had to be taught the Word. In order for them to be taught the Word, they had to meet house to house. In order for them to meet house to house, there had to be leaders to lead those groups in the houses all across Crete. Is anybody with me this morning? This is a time of transition for Lilburn Alliance Church. In a time of transition, it's a time of shaking. It's a time of reaching for what is really of primary importance as a congregation. And what better place to refocus ourselves than in the book of Titus 
where Paul distills it all down and makes it simple for all of us to get a handle on. And why are we in all of our home groups to do good so that our neighbors can see that there is a God whose Son is Jesus? Why? The bottom line of Paul's message is Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all mankind. That's the so what of the church. That's the so what of Lilburn Alliance Church. It's that the grace of God is at work. And salvation is now being extended to all people. What was at stake in Crete is that Paul wanted Titus to make it impossible for anyone to live on Crete without knowing who Jesus is. Brothers and sisters, I have a burning desire. I have a burning desire. I have a motivation that moves me. It wakes me up in the morning. It puts me to sleep at night. It keeps me going all day long. And that burning desire is to let everybody know in our community, here in Northeast Atlanta, with all the complexities that we face of ministry in a multicultural community where all kinds of pluralism is being introduced, where there are more gods coming, being brought into our community all the time. Is I want to join you in making it impossible to live here in our base camp without knowing who Jesus is. I want you to join me in making it impossible to live here in this base camp without knowing who Jesus is. And in order for that to happen, we need to be doing good. We need to be doing good that does care first for the household of faith, but then also for those outside the household of faith. And in order to do good, we have to be good. We have to live morally pure lives in an evil and adulterous generation. And in order for us to live morally pure lives, we need to be connected to each other in small groups. And in order for us to be connected together in small groups during the week, we need leaders. Now, the blueprint of God for Titus is the blueprint of God for us. What it was going to take on the island of Crete for that base camp is what it's going to take for us in our base camp. You know, one of the things I'm going to miss most about Bruce Bliss, this is just very personal, but Bruce would sit here on Sunday when I'm preaching. I mean, he was like, Drew, I think you're going to take his place. God bless you, Drew. Hallelujah. 
But how are we doing? After 39 years, how are we doing? Why did the church grow so well when we were first started? When we were first born in a home? It's because that home group got it right. They were morally pure. They loved sound doctrine. They did good. And it grew. You know, when, when my kids were growing up, I didn't have to tell them. Now, come on, you, you only grew an inch this year. You got to grow more. I just need to make sure I was feeding them and loving them and caring for them. And the growth just happened all by itself. What God wants here is a healthy church. That knows why we're here. And what it means to be a healthy church. And what it means for us to be a healthy church is what it meant for Titus to be a healthy church. you got to have good leaders who are morally pure, who meet in their homes, and who teach sound doctrine, who teach others to live morally pure, and who activate them to not just love their own little circle, but to do good outside their group to impact the community. Why? Because salvation is being offered to all people. No, brothers and sisters, there is a lot on the line on whether or not we are a healthy church. There's a lot on the line. This is not just something we can sit back and say, well, that's fine for a few of them. No, we all need to be engaged. We all need to be connected in home groups. We all need to be morally pure and being taught the Word of God and to live it out in our community, in our neighborhoods. Because we want to make it impossible to live in our neighborhood, in our area, to be in, in our school, in our class at school, to be on our soccer team or whatever our network is. We want to make it impossible for any of them to miss who Jesus is. So how are we doing? Well, last year we had 25 home groups. That means we had 25 leaders and 25 home groups. At that point, this is going back actually about 17 months ago, there were no groups that had really done a touch point event to connect with their neighbors. And there were two pre-Christians or new Christians part of those 25 groups. And a year ago, I challenged us on homecoming to go beyond, to reach out, to open our doors. Well, what happened? We now have only uh, 28 groups, so we've only added a few. But would you look at this? We've now done 19 touchpoint events. We've had 19 groups open their doors and to reach out to their neighbors in very tangible ways. A block party, a barbecue, uh, cleaning up the subdivision, uh, uh, hosting others and so forth. And we now have 38 new or pre-Christians involved in those 28 groups. I think we can thank God for that. 
That's a healthy step in the right direction. Now, we also want to acknowledge today there are 353 of our church family who meet consistently in a home group. Over 350. Now, the challenge is there are 636 who call Lilburn Alliance Church home. So that means that there are still 283 of us who need to be connected. And we're working on that. We love you all the same. But for those who are not yet connected in home groups, we love you so much, we don't want you to be stranded without one. Amen. Now, I want to end with this verse, and it takes us back to the book of Acts. There are 13 words. Now, we've got 12 months till we turn 40. I don't know what the significance of that is, but I thought I'd throw that out there. So we're on a 12-month countdown until we turn 40 as a church. And I've got 13 words that I want to challenge us with. I want to ask you to put this in your prayer life. 13 words from Acts chapter 17, verse 6, that I want to live to see happen here among us. Here in our base camp. Here in Northeast Atlanta. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, we really know that they turned the world right side up. The world is upside down. Would anybody agree with that? We need a few people to live counterculture, to live against the flow, to practice what nobody else is practicing. And the fact of the matter is, if you're practicing morality for any other reason than Jesus is your Redeemer, sooner or later you're going to fall away also. I practice morality. I have strict moral standards that I use to protect myself. But it's not because I'm any more holy than the guy who lives next door to me. I am fully convinced I will never meet anyone who is more sinful than I am. I dare you. Let's sit down and tell me your story. And I'll tell you mine. No one on this earth is any more sinful than I am. So I I don't practice morality to show off how righteous I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. The reason I practice morality is because I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own anymore. Jesus redeemed me. He set me free. He forgave me. And I love Him. And I found loving Him means obeying Him. And I found obeying Him is the place of freedom. It's the greatest place of freedom. I wear a wedding ring that reminds me of my wedding vows. There's a called, it's called a bond of matrimony. I wear this because I love one woman more than anyone else. 
There's things that I do with that one woman that I don't do with anyone else. I don't even want to think about it. Now, that is bondage. It's glorious bondage. And I got the same thing with Jesus. I'm the freest man on earth. But he's got all kinds of limitations around me. It keeps me healthy. No, brothers and sisters, there's aspects about following Jesus that are not intuitive. And the USA Today is right. Our pluralistic society is going to become increasingly a religious casserole. All mixed up. It's going to be increasingly sexually broken. Morally losing its equilibrium. And we will increasingly seem to some like the enemy until we love them. I'm resigned to that. I'm in for the long haul. Because in the end, we win. And in the meantime, we have a blast. But we've got our work cut out for us, Lilburn Alliance Church. This is no time to rest on the past. It's game on. The mission is now. It's time for us who've been sitting around the edges to get in. If you are not connected, I implore you to connect in a home group where you can share your stuff. Here, in this environment, you hear the Word. But there you think through how to put it into practice. We do not want to be a bunch of people who just hear the Word and go our way and don't put it into practice. It's the life on life where discipleship takes place. Where it gets ingrained in our DNA. And not just in ours, because it does not end with us. It goes from us to the nations. How many of you have a heart for the nations? You kind of had to put your hand up on that one, didn't you? Sorry, I don't like, uh, I don't ever mean to do that to you. But I know there is a strong love for the nations among us. You wouldn't be here if there wasn't a strong love for the nations. Let me just tell you something. In the days to come, in the months to come, in the years to come, we need to get more serious about going after the nations. Crete had an obvious attraction for the nations. I don't know what our attraction is, but the nations are coming. We can resent that or we can go after it. And brothers and sisters, we are going to go after it. What an opportunity to showcase the reality of our God in this day, in this community. Hallelujah. Amen. Are we going to sing or what are we doing next?